to chapter 27 of the Bostonians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Bostonians by Henry James, chapter 27. You won't speak to me in my own house, that I have almost grown used to. But if you are going to pass me over in public, I think you might give me warning first. This was only her archness, and he knew what to make of that now. She was dressed in yellow and looked very plump and gay. He wondered at the unerring instinct by which she had discovered his exposed quarter. The outer room was completely empty. She had come in at the further door and found the field free for her operations. He offered to find her a place where she could see and hear Miss Tarrant. To get her a chair to stand on even, if she wished to look over the heads of the gentlemen in the doorway. A proposal which she greeted with the inquiry, Do you suppose I came here for the sake of that chatterbox? Haven't I told you what I think of her? Well, you certainly did not come here for my sake, said Ransom, anticipating this insinuation, for you couldn't possibly have known I was coming. I guessed it. A presentiment told me, Mrs. Luna declared, and she looked up at him with searching, accusing eyes. I know what you have come for, she cried in a moment. You never mentioned to me that you knew Mrs. Burridge. I don't. I never had heard of her till she asked me. Then why in the world did she ask you? Ransom had spoken a trifle rashly. It came over him quickly that there were reasons why he had better not have said that. But almost as quickly... He covered up his mistake. I suppose your sister was so good as to ask for a card for me. My sister? My grandmother? I know how Olive loves you. Mr. Ransom, you are very deep. She had drawn him well into the room, out of earshot of the group in the doorway. And he felt that if she should be able to compass her wish, she would organise a little entertainment for herself in the outer drawing-room in opposition to Miss Tarrant's address. Please, come and sit down here a moment. We shall be quite undisturbed. I have something very particular to say to you. She led the way to the little sofa in the corner where he had been talking with Olive a few minutes before and he accompanied her with extreme reluctance, grudging the moments that he should be obliged to give to her. He had quite forgotten that he once had a vision of spending his life in her society, and he looked at his watch as he made the observation. I haven't the least idea of losing any of the sport in there, you know. He felt the next instant that he oughtn't to have said that either. But he was irritated, disconcerted, and he couldn't help it. It was the nature of a gallant Mississippian to do everything a lady asked him, 
and he had never remarkable as it may appear been in the position of finding such a request so incompatible with his own desires as now it was a new predicament for mrs luna evidently meant to keep him if she could she looked round the room more and more pleased at their having it to themselves and for the moment said nothing more about the singularity of his being there on the contrary she became freshly jocular remarked that now they had got hold of him they wouldn't easily let him go they would make him entertain them induce him to give a lecture on the lights and shadows of southern life or the social peculiarities of mississippi before the wednesday club and what in the world is the wednesday club i suppose it's what those ladies were talking about ransom said i don't know your ladies but the wednesday club is this thing i don't mean you and me here together but all those deluded beings in the other room it is new york trying to be like boston it is the culture the good form of the metropolis you might not think it but it is it's the quiet set they are quiet enough you might hear a pin drop in there is someone going to offer up a prayer how happy olive must be to be taken so seriously they form an association for meeting at each other's houses every week and having some performance or some paper read or some subject explained the more dreary it is and the more fearful the subject the more they think it is what it ought to be they have an idea this is the way to make new york society intellectual there's a sumptuary law isn't that what you call it about suppers and they restrict themselves to a kind of spartan broth when it's made by their french cooks it isn't bad mrs burridge is one of the principal members one of the founders i believe and when her turn has come round formally it comes only once in the winter for each i'm told she has usually had very good music but that is thought rather a base evasion a begging of the question the vulgar can easily keep up with them on music so mrs burridge conceived the extraordinary idea and it was wonderful to hear how mrs luna pronounced that adjective of sending on to boston for that girl it was her son of course who put it into her head he has been at cambridge for some years that's where verena lived you know and he was as thick with her as you please out there now that he is no longer there it suits him very well to have her here she is coming on a visit to his mother when olive goes i asked them to stay with me but olive declined majestically she said they wished to be in some place where they would be free to receive sympathizing friends so they are staying at some extraordinary kind of new jerusalem boarding house in tenth street olive thinks it's her duty to go to such places i was greatly surprised that she should let verena be drawn into such a worldly crowd as this 
but she told me they had made up their minds not to let any occasion slip that they could sow the seed of truth in drawing rooms as well as workshops and that if a single person were brought round to their ideas they should have been justified in coming on that's what they are doing in there sowing the seed but you shall not be the one that's brought round i shall take care of that have you seen my delightful sister yet the way she does arrange herself when she wants to protest against frills she looks as if she thought it pretty barren ground round here now she has come to see it i don't think she thinks you can be saved in a french dress anyhow i must say i call it a very base evasion of mrs burridge's producing verena tarrant it's worse than the meretricious music why didn't she honestly send for a ballerina from niblo's if she wanted a young woman capering about on a platform they don't care a fig about poor olive's ideas it's only because verena has strange hair and shiny eyes and gets herself up like a prestidigitator's assistant i've never understood how olive can reconcile herself to verena's really low style of dress i suppose it's only because her clothes are so fearfully made you look as if you didn't believe me but i assure you that the cut is revolutionary and that's a salve to olive's conscience ransom was surprised to hear that he looked as if he didn't believe her for he had found himself after his first uneasiness listening with considerable interest to her account of the circumstances under which miss tarrant was visiting new york after a moment as the result of some private reflection he propounded this question is the son of the lady of the house a handsome young man very polite in a white vest i don't know the colour of his vest but he has a kind of fawning manner verena judges from that that he is in love with her perhaps he is said ransom you say it was his idea to get her to come on oh he likes to flirt that is highly probable perhaps she has brought him round not to where she wants i think the property is very large he will have it all one of these days do you mean she wishes to impose on him the yoke of matrimony ransom asked with southern languor i believe she thinks matrimony an exploded superstition but there is here and there a case in which it is still the best thing when the gentleman's name happens to be burridge and the young lady's tarrant i don't admire burridge so much myself but i think she would have captured this present sign if it hadn't been for olive olive stands between them she wants to keep her in the single sisterhood to keep her above all for herself of course she won't listen to her marrying and she has put a spoke in the wheel she has brought her to new york that may seem against what i say but the girl pulls hard she has to humour her to give her a head sometimes to throw something overboard in short to save the rest you may say as regards mr burridge 
that it's a queer taste in a gentleman. But there's no arguing about that. It's a queer taste in a lady, too, for she is a lady, poor Olive. You can see that tonight. She is dressed like a book agent, but she is more distinguished than anyone here. Verena, beside her, looks like a walking advertisement. When Mrs. Luna paused, Basil Ransom became aware that, in the other room, Verena's address had begun. The sound of her clear, bright, ringing voice, an admirable voice for public uses, came to them from the distance. His eagerness to stand where he could hear her better and see her into the bargain made him start in his place and this movement produced an outgush of mocking laughter on the part of his companion. But she didn't say, Go, go, deluded man, I take pity on you. She only remarked with light impertinence that he surely wouldn't be so wanting in gallantry as to leave a lady absolutely alone in a public place. It was so Mrs. Luna was pleased to qualify Mrs. Burridge's drawing-room. In the face of her entreaty, that he would remain with her. She had the better of poor Ransom, thanks to the superstitions of Mississippi. It was in his simple code a gross rudeness to withdraw from conversation with a lady at a party before another gentleman should have come to take one's place. It was to inflict on the lady a kind of outrage. The other gentleman, at Mrs. Burridge's, were all too well occupied, and there was not the smallest chance of one of them coming to his rescue. He couldn't leave Mrs. Luna, and yet he couldn't stay with her and lose the only thing he had come so much out of his way for. Let me at least find you a place over there in the doorway. You can stand upon a chair. You can lean on me. Thank you very much. I would much rather lean on the sofa, and I'm much too tired to stand on chairs. Besides, I wouldn't for the world that either Verena or Olive should see me craning over the heads of the crowd as if I attached the smallest importance to their perorations. It isn't time for the peroration yet, Ransom said with savage dryness, and he sat forward with his elbow on his knees his eyes on the ground, a flush in his sallow cheek. It's never time to say such things as those, Mrs. Luna remarked, arranging her laces. How do you know what she is saying? I can tell by the way her voice goes up and down. It sounds so silly. Ransom sat there five minutes longer, minutes which he felt the recording angel ought to write down to his credit and asked himself how Mrs. Luna could be such a goose as not to see that she was making him hate her. But she was goose enough for anything. He tried to appear indifferent, and it occurred to him to doubt whether the Mississippi system could be right after all. It certainly hadn't foreseen such a case as this. It's as plain as day that Mr. Burridge intends to marry her if he can he said in a minute, that remark being better calculated than any other he could think of 
to dissimulate his real state of mind. It drew no rejoinder from his companion, and after an instant he turned his head a little and glanced at her. The result of something that silently passed between them was to make her say abruptly, Mr. Ransom, my sister never sent you an invitation to this place. Didn't it come from Verena Tarrant? I haven't the least idea. As you haven't the least acquaintance with Mrs. Burridge, who else could it have come from? If it came from Miss Tarrant, I ought at least to recognize her courtesy by listening to her. If you rise from the sofa, I will tell Olive what I suspect. She will be perfectly capable of carrying Verena off to China, or anywhere out of your reach. And pray, what is it you suspect? That you two have been in correspondence. Tell her whatever you like, Mrs. Luna, said the young man, with the grimness of resignation. You are quite unable to deny it, I see. I never contradict a lady. We shall see if I can't make you tell a fib. Haven't you been seeing Miss Tarrant, too? Where should I have seen her? I can't see all the way to Boston, as you said the other day. Haven't you been there on secret visits? Ransom started just perceptibly. But to conceal it, the next instant he stood up. They wouldn't be secret if I were to tell you. Looking down at her, he saw that her words were a happy hit, not the result of definite knowledge. But she appeared to him vain, egotistical, grasping, odious. Well, I shall give the alarm, she went on. That is, I will if you leave me. Is that the way a southern gentleman treats a lady? Do as I wish and I will let you off. You won't let me off from staying with you. Is it such a corvée? I never heard of such rudeness, Mrs. Luna cried. All the same, I am determined to keep you if I can. Ransom felt that she must be in the wrong, and yet superficially she seemed, and it was quite intolerable to have right on her side. All this, while Verena's golden voice, with her words indistinct, solicited, tantalised his ear. The question had evidently got on Mrs. Luna's nerves. She had reached the point of feminine embroilment, when a woman is perverse for the sake of perversity, and even with a clear vision of bad consequences. You have lost your head, he relieved himself by saying as he looked down at her. I wish you would go and get me some tea. You say that only to embarrass me. He had hardly spoken when a great sound of applause, the clapping of many hands, and the cry from fifty throats of Bravo, bravo, floated in and died away. All Ransom's pulses throbbed. He flung his scruples to the winds, and after remarking to Mrs. Luna, still with all due ceremony, that he feared he must resign himself to forfeiting her good opinion, turned his back upon her and strode away to the open door of the music room. 
well i have never been so insulted he heard her exclaim with exceeding sharpness as he left her and glancing back at her as he took up his position he saw her still seated on her sofa alone in the lamp-lit desert with her eyes making across the empty space little vindictive points well she could come where he was if she wanted him so much he would support her on an ottoman and make it easy for her to see but mrs luna was uncompromising he became aware after a minute that she had withdrawn majestically from the place and he did not see her again that evening end of book two chapter twenty seven